Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money, I'm Glenn James and today I'm on the road, I'm in Canberra doing some podcasting down here. John is actually away for maybe 12 weeks, uh, I'm going to try and get him on remotely, uh, he's taking his family around New South Wales. If you are new to the podcast, welcome, if it's your first episode, welcome. If you want to know about what we do, we want to encourage you to do better things with your money. We want to encourage you to be intentional with your money. And one way you can do that is to jump in each week, get encouraged and try and pick one thing that you can make better in your life, whether it's getting rid of debt, whether it's achieving your goals, whether it's solidifying your goals and really getting intentional with your money and life. So that's what My Millennial Money is all about. If you are interested in finding out more, you can check us out on Instagram or if you want to join the Facebook group, you can jump in and would love to continue the conversation in there. If you're wondering who I am, I was a financial advisor for 12 years. I'm not a journalist. I'm not a an author. I'm not a blogger. Uh, I basically spent over 12 years helping people face-to-face and I wanted to take uh, the message of financial help to the masses and I'm doing that via a podcast. So there we are. And for today's episode, I've got a listener of the podcast. Her name's Laura. She's a lawyer. She's from Canberra. Hi, Laura. Thanks for joining us today. Hello. Now, the reason I wanted to sit down and chat with Laura was I think at the end of last year, Laura, you randomly sent me a spreadsheet and it was a net worth tracker. And in the back of my mind, I've always wanted to do something. And it just prompted me to get that spreadsheet, maybe tweak it up a little bit and give it out to people to track their net worth. So we're going to talk about net worth. We're going to talk about the free spreadsheet you can download in the show notes. So you ready to have a chat, Laura? Yes. All right, let's get it on. does net worth mean? How would you explain that? So, net worth is basically summing together all of the assets that you hold. So, it would be super, your savings. Uh, If you own a car, you might put in the value of the car. Um, Everything that is an asset and then minus your liabilities or your debts. So, for example, a hex debt, a credit card debt, any other loans and the resultant number is your net worth. Perfect. And I guess as another way to look at it, when you get paid, when you go for the job, they say, we're going to pay you a gross salary of 80 grand or whatever that is, take away some tax, the amount that goes into your bank account is the net pay. So after, so net worth, what you own minus what you owe, what's left after being your net worth. Talk to us about the importance for your life. And we know it's not for everybody, uh, but you've used a net worth tracker for some time now. Uh, 
What was your experience and what is your experience using a net worth tracker? Sure. So I started tracking my net worth a couple of years ago uh, in January 2019. Um, I was listening to uh, a financial podcast by um, Budgets Are Sexy in the US with Jay Money. And he is a very well-known net worth tracker. Um, he tracked his net worth all the way up to a million dollars and was very transparent with exact dollars going in and would explain what was happening in the market at the time because he had shares. Anyway, I am quite a visual person, visual learner, and I decided to give it a go and experiment by tracking my own net worth. And I found it to be really motivating. So it's basically you do it at the end of every single month? Not at the end. I actually do it on the first of every month. Right. Interesting. See, when I saw this, I instantly thought I'll do it at the end of every month, but I guess it doesn't matter. No, I like doing it at the first of every month, even if it's just for the small reason that you get the little bit of um, uh, like bank savings interest. Sure, yeah, sure. So, the spreadsheet that we've got that's in the show notes uh, and it's a free download. I haven't hidden it behind an email wall or, you know, I don't want your details. I just want to give this out to people for you to start to get intentional because it could be the catalyst to get you dialed in with your money. And do you want to maybe read kind of what some of the things are at the top of that that uh, people can fill out each month? Sure. So, when I created my own spreadsheet, um, which is very similar to this one, uh, I have the different categories of uh, savings and assets. So, here we've got personal items, uh, number one car, number two car, emergency fund, uh, savings accounts, superannuation account, uh, shares, micro-investing, other assets, and a property if you own one. Right. And in the liability section, what's on that? So, we've got mortgage, credit card, personal loan, car loan, and hex help. Yeah. And on the spreadsheet, there are places uh, at the top where you can write notes. So, you might put, it might say car one and you can put in the note Corolla or, um, you know, Mitsubishi or whatever that you want to do. Uh, what have you done with your super section? Yeah, I started salary sacrificing into my super a few years ago and I wanted to keep track of uh, the amount that I could pull out for the first home super saver scheme. So, I actually created a second column. So, uh, at the beginning of each month, I go and I get my super balance and then I take away the amount that I know I've put aside for the first home super saver scheme. So, I keep them separate. That mm. way I can reference it easily. Well, I guess it's easy because on your super statement, you just see the lump sum and to know how much you've put in the first home super saver scheme, you would have to look at the uh, personal contributions and work it out that way. But That's right. So, least- I track that on a separate spreadsheet so yep. I know exactly how much that I've contributed. Mm. Yep, and I just minus that out from the super balance. Yeah, so it's a uh, it's the start of a new year. You know, we're, we're in February now. Uh, if you want to download this, there's a version on there for Mac and uh, Windows. I would recommend, like any spreadsheet, if you've got Google Drive or something, just upload it and keep it in the cloud or see if you can transfer it over to Sheets. Uh, you can jump in the Facebook group and download it from there. Uh, but what it's got at the bottom is a graph. And over time, the aim of the graph is to do what? Hopefully motivate you. Hopefully it's going up. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it may be going down, like if you purchase a property and you've got a mortgage of 400000 but your net worth prior to that is 200000 of course, mm. it's going to be in the minuses, but you're still watching it increase and hopefully yeah. compound. Yeah. So, if you've got like a micro-investing account, you might put that in. 
there are a lot of, you know, apps and all this that might do it uh, for you, but this is just a way if you're a spreadsheet person, you can certainly download that at no cost. And remember, it's worth exactly what you paid for it. If you're going to complain, make sure your grammar is spot on. Thank you. Ah, <laughs> uh, lol. So, anything else you want to add about the spreadsheet? Sure. So, over the past two years, I've watched my uh, graph increase in net worth value. Being the visual person, it's really encouraging watching it go up by a certain amount each month. But last March when COVID happened, so I own some shares, uh, that was the first time that my graph took a down between super and the shares. It dropped about 8%. Um, and I was actually really excited. I was like, oh, it's looking like a real graph. You know, we've got the highs and lows. Um, but then over the next few months, I watched it climb back up again. So I found that actually very reassuring knowing my sort of risk profile that I can handle and stomach the lows as well as the highs. Yeah. And I just think, yeah, you might have some type of other tool. You might do an old school thermometer on the fridge and you're trying to raise money to save for something or pay off debt. In the My Money Journal, there's a place at the end where you can color in your debt or savings or whatever. Uh, it's just an aid that might help a particular type of person. Oh, definitely. Not for everyone. Um, me being so visual, it really helps me. And sometimes pri oh, prior to using the net worth tracker, I was saving and I knew theoretically that my savings were going up. I could see the figures, but you forget how much you started with and how far you've come. Whereas when you can look at the graph, it's really encouraging. So mm. that's been really good for me. And on the first column of the spreadsheet, there is, and I'll put a, there's an instruction video that I'll put in the show notes as well. The personal asset section, you need to put a number in there to trigger the spreadsheet because we all own stuff. If it, even if you've got a handful of clothes, it's worth something. I would encourage you to be always conservative with your personal assets like your bed, your fridge. You know, if you've got a $1,000 bed, you might put $600 in the net worth tracker because you don't want to inflate it too much. And likewise, be conservative with the values of stuff. You know, you're not going to get your house valued every month. Uh, but if you own a house, you might just have the same number in there for three or four months. And then if you do some research and make a, a bit of an assumption, uh, it's certainly worthwhile. What I do is once a year, I use my car model and I'll put it into the selection the of, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And take a bit of an average. Um, and I update it like that. So that that way I'm not doing it every month. I wouldn't do assets like that every month. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. So there you go, everyone. Jump on, download that and uh, let us know how you go with it. But also you don't need to do it every month if it doesn't suit you. You can do it twice a year. Some people do it once a year, twice a year, quarterly. Yeah, choose your own adventure. Yeah. Sweet. Can I have my laptop, please? Yeah, it died on me. Oh, did it? Oh, there's no battery. Do you want to read the first question? Do you have that handy? I do. Actually, the first two questions, uh, because they're kind of in common. And remember, everybody, if you want to send in your questions, um, please do so. The email address is questions at mymillennial.money. Uh, please keep them brief. And if you also want to send in any audio questions, just record it on your phone and send it into questions at mymillennial.money. I'll say right now, loud and clear, I am not replying to that inbox. So if you want to pitch me or whatever, or try and sell me something, I ain't replying. So that's just the question email. So it's just trying to make it an easier way for you to send your questions in. And for any podcast, whether it's the My Millennial Health podcast, whether it's My Millennial Careers, whether it's My Millennial Property, 
send all your questions into there. Just put in the subject line what the podcast uh, question is for. All right, so what do we got? So we've got two related questions. Sure. The first one is from Nissa. Are interest-free credit transfers a good idea? And should I transfer my credit card debt into a personal loan? Yeah, it's um, they're common questions, and you know, back when thing, and they probably still send them in the mail. Like, how many times did you get sent in the mail? Like, hey, transfer your credit card, and um, you never did. No, no I must be old. But um, basically, credit card transfers. What they are actually doing is saying, hey, we want your business. We will let you bring your debt over to our credit card. We'll pay out your other credit card. We'll close it. And we won't charge you interest for six months. And then at the end of the six months, if you still owe money, they've got a customer that they're charging interest on. So we know on balance that most people don't pay their interest transfer off within the first six months. Otherwise, the banks wouldn't worry. So we know they're making money on it. Now, I would caution using balance transfer for two reasons. And this is the reasons why I wouldn't do it personally. Number one, and the biggest risk that you've got with transferring, you think you've paid off your debt. You think that you've solved your financial situation, but you haven't done anything. You've just moved the debt. You've just freed up maybe a couple hundred dollars a month. The debt hasn't gone away. You just kick the can down the road. You need to get your hands dirty. You need to pay the bloody bastard off and you need to get on with your life. Like that's number one. Number two, I don't. I just don't want extra crap in the mail. I just don't want my name on an extra database. I don't want to be sent spam to for another chance. I just think if you're in credit card debt, you've got to first decide that you're no longer going to use credit card. You're no longer going to borrow money to buy consumable stuff because let's face it, if you're paying $1 of interest each month or more on your credit card, it means you can't afford it because you literally, and a lot of people pay stuff on their credit card and pay it off each month. Awesome. But if you're paying $1 of interest, you can't afford it because you're spending over what you can actually afford. That makes sense as a principle overall, but mm. what if I have a relatively small credit card debt, so let's say $2,000 mm. over six months, is it worth transferring then because the I mean, extra couple hundred or however much you're paying in interest may actually, if you do the maths, you could get ahead of it? Exactly. That's 100%, but you've got to just know that you're actually not doing anything. You've still got to pay the debt off. So if you know that, yeah, I've, I'm intentional, I've got the Glenn James spending plan and I've freed up money and I've got an eight grand credit card, sure, move it over the road and get an extra six months free or call the current provider and say, hey, I'm moving this credit card. Can you give me six months free, interest free? So it sounds like more of a psychological or motivational place that you're making the decision from rather than purely maths. But yeah, you're right. Like if you first got to decide, and this is what I say to people, like, if you want to pay off your debt, you've got to first decide that you're no longer going into debt because otherwise you're paying it off in vain. And I mean, if you're like, I jokingly, and whatever, this is just what I would do. If I'm like, it's like the losing weight things. Like on Monday, I'm starting to lose weight. I'm eating healthy. Go on a bender on Sunday. Go get it out of your system. It's the last time. Uh, but something's got to change. And moving or debt consolidation 
isn't actually changing anything. But sure, if you want to pay off your debt and you can set that timeline, yeah, this will be clear in five months, this will be clear in six months, call your current provider and say, hey, I'm moving to a zero balance transfer. Can you hook me up or am I taking my business elsewhere? If they say, no, we can't hook you up, sure, roll it over. But just know that you're opening another financial account. You're opening more chance of getting spammed. You're, so it's just that Does it affect thing. your credit history? It would probably uh, add to your credit rating because you're taking more credit and paying more credit off. So I definitely don't run my life by credit rating. I don't even know my credit score. Um, there's no national credit score office. There's three main credit bureaus and they make their own score up. So when people say, what's my credit score? So the question is one, who's your credit bureau and what score are they giving you? Because when you go for a loan, the banks will probably sweep all three or two credit bureaus, get all the data from the different bureaus and make their own internal credit profile on you. So hear me loud and clear, everyone. Credit scores, they mean nothing to a point in Australia. So you pay your bills on time, save money, and don't buy into the hype that you need to do this to get a higher credit score. Good one. Thank you. You really lawyered me up then, didn't you? Sorry. No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, and the personal loan thing, the same thing. We're not moving debt around um, because honestly, if you transferred your credit card debt onto the personal loan, the personal loan term would probably be longer and you might end up paying more. I mean, fundamentally, you need to close that credit card account because yes. so many people I know put it aside for a rainy day. They keep it in the back of the drawer in case there's an emergency. And too often, I know that it comes out for a spending splurge. Totally. One night out yeah, and you're trapped in the same cycle. So, Laura, the lawyer from Canberra, there's a whole list of questions there. Do we want to pick one at random? Sure. Luke asks, my investment property is bleeding money and when I looked to sell, I realised I would make a 20 to 40k loss. Should I hold on or cut my losses and walk away? Wow, that's a that's fascinating because doesn't property always go up in value? I've heard that. Mm. Actually, before you answer that, Glenn, if you were to sell it, we know that there would be a 20 to 40k loss, but if you were to keep it, would there be ongoing losses associated with the property or is it a matter of sort of holding on and waiting and hoping? Yeah, and that's the thing. So, Luke, you need to first understand, um, is it sucking you dry in terms of holding costs? So, it might be negatively geared by the fact that uh, after you pay interest on it, after you uh, receive the rent and after you pay some agency fees and expenses, at the end of the year, there's a, a $3,000 loss that you'd claim on tax or $5,000 loss that you'd claim on tax. So if that's the case and you can stomach that loss, it might be a case that, well, we need to hang in there because whatever way you cut it, if you jump now, there will be a shortage. But I would honestly, you got to, like, are you getting the prices from your own stuff online, uh, the local real estate agent who's just desperate for a sale, he or she's a bit out of touch, or if you've got, got an actual bank vow, because if it's a bank vow, we know it's going to be uh, lower than what the market would pay for. Uh, if it's real estate, they could be out, who knows? So I think you need to really start getting some information and it could be a 
Luke, you could be a candidate for a clarity call with John and he can actually work you through some scenarios. But ordinarily, I think you would know as well, like if it's a mining town and the last mine, you know, it's been a mining town for you know, 50 years and the last mine's finally left town, that property price might not be going north anytime soon. So it's a judgment call, I think. It's just getting data on the table, doing the numbers. And if you did sell it and you did run a capital loss, possibly owed the bank some money, but that capital loss, uh, you can offset against gains in the future. So not all is lost, uh, but certainly a curly one. And it just speaks to, before you buy property, that you need to buy well. And, you know, so many people, and I've been guilty of this as well on my first property journey, you go out and buy a property in the next bloody suburb because that's all you know. Uh, but if I had John in my life before I bought my first property, uh, it would have been more strategic and had some help there. So John Pigeon, he's the host of the My Millennial Property Podcast. He's the co-host of this podcast uh, when he's bloody around, not holidaying. And he does a clarity call. You can spend an hour or so on the phone with him, fill out some questions, and it's $330. And we've never had a negative review of uh, the clarity that people have got. Uh, so you can go to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and I can introduce you to John uh, for those specific property questions. How would you go about getting a bank valuation if you're not looking to sell, you're still deciding? Yeah, so what you could do um, is contact your mortgage broker because a lot of the time the mortgage brokers can order a bank valuation and the banks will just pay for that. That's basically the street version of it. Um, (laughs) The only other thing you could do, it was Luke, was it? Luke. You could actually put it up for sale because you might want the property gone anyway for whatever reason and you could just put it up and just see if you get any serious nibbles. You know, maybe, again, talk to a good local real estate agent. Maybe you might have to spend five grand on it. Maybe you need to freshen it up, list it a little bit higher, maybe get some nibbles. And then if you do get a good offer on the table, then decide, am I going to piss this off, take the loss? Or am I going to hang on to it and take the annual cash flow loss? Conversely, if it's actually, once you pay your interest payments, once you pay, uh, whether it's a principal interest, so the mortgage repayments or the interest repayments, uh, any agent's fees, any you know holding costs, insurances and all that, if at the end of the year, it's making two or three grand a year, it probably doesn't really matter that the capital value is lower because it's cash flow positive and it could just be a dip in that market. But without knowing exactly where it is, there's too many variables to actually categorically say, no, piss it off now, sell it, or no, keep it for five years. It's just a, it's a really good uh, point. And I think we can all learn that, you know, in these examples, property, like any growth asset, doesn't always increase in value. And we're coming live from the hotel realm uh, in Canberra, if you can hear the cool background vibes. Do you want to pick another little... Gem. Little gem. So, Brett asks, I'd love to know more about superannuation fees. Am I better off starting a self-managed super fund now, even though I don't have that many assets? Yeah. So, the self-managed super fund thing, and this is a question that comes up. To do this topic justice, you need to go back last year and listen to the whole episodes we did on self-managed super fund. For it to make sense, I believe there's three things that you need 
to entertain a self-managed super fund? Can you guess any of them, Laura? You'd need to work out how many assets you have, your current balance or what you have to put into it. Yes. And then work out how much it will cost you to run the self-managed super fund. So your sort of trust account reporting, annual reporting requirements, they're quite expensive. So they are from memory. So three broad strokes. Number one, you really want to have at least over 150 grand. 200 is good. And a lot of us just don't have 150, 200, $250,000 in our super fund to warrant paying the fees because you're setting up a separate company and you're going to have to have an accountant do the audit and the headache of starting another company, okay? So number one, you want a decent account balance to start with. Number two, I believe if you've got a strategy to buy property with your super, you would need a self-managed super fund, but also you'd really need number one to be ticked as well. You've got a decent balance to start with. And number three, this can be uh, a possibility, but I still think you still need a higher balance if you've got a complex estate plan. So you might have blended families and five different kids to five different you know, other spouses and all that stuff. You've just got a little bit more control with your estate plan. So realistically, self-managed super, you need over that 150, 200K, you want to make sure if you've got that, do you want to buy property? Or if you don't want to buy property, um, do you want some extra control over your estate plan? Now, if you rocked up tomorrow and said, oh, I've got um, 800 grand in my super fund, with that much money, it might make sense to have a self-managed fund because you're getting scale and it might be cheaper to manage yourself. So, Brett, I think you need to have a look at those three things because superannuation at the moment, like there's a lot of good super funds and the fees aren't that expensive. The big thing people think with super fees is, um, oh, I'm getting taxed 15% or I'm getting taxed every month in my super. That's not a fee. That's the contribution tax that you would pay when you put money in your super, whether it's a self-managed super fund or a, a Sun Super account or whatever, every contribution that goes in from your employer gets taxed 15%. So realistically, the only other fees might be an account fee, which could be a dollar amount, it could be $2.50 a week, could be $5 a month or whatever. There could be a fee, an asset-based fee, which is regardless of wherever you're investing your money, there's a fee to kind of um, manage your money. And then whatever investment option you use, there will be a fee for that investment option. Let's take a quick break and we'll uh, choose one more question to answer. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. What's, uh, what's the last question we're going to leave on today? Nick is wondering how to save money when I earn less than $15,000 per year. 
Yeah, it's a good question because we know there's a lot of lower income earners in our society, whether it is uh, somebody who's on a full-time disability pension or whether it's someone working casually and a single parent, whether it's someone studying and working on the side or whether you're just struggling to get work. Oh, this was me for years through university. Yeah. When I look back at how much I earn per year, I don't know how I lived that, but I had a great time. Yeah. So realistically, Nick, you're probably not saving that much money. Earning 15 grand. It's not a savings problem. It's an incoming problem. And I know that can sound harsh if you're on a disability pension or uh, if you're on, you know, can't get a job. We've only got so many tools in our personal budget toolkit. That's really our income, our outgoing and what's left to save. If you've got like $1,000 a month or thereabouts that you're living off, that's not going very far. I think, Nick, it's okay for you to say, look, at this period in my life, I actually can't save much money. I've just got to survive. I've just got to be really intentional. Like, so for Nick, uh, someone like, you know, myself or you, Laura, we've got a full-time job. We earn good money, more than 15 grand a year. When we go shopping, we probably just, yeah, I need that, I need that, I need that. But for someone like Nick or a lower income earner, every dollar counts so much more because there's so much less. And that's not a bad thing. It's just maths. So you've really got to be intentional. And then what I'm going to say, Nick, is you might not be able to save any money on that income. But for those out there who are on a small income, generally what happens is the bigger the income, the bigger the bills, sometimes the bigger savings. So smaller income, hopefully we have smaller bills and it might mean that you've got smaller savings. How much you can save does not correlate to how much you earn to a point because I can tell you now, guys, I've had clients that have been, you know, hotshot lawyers like Laura earning three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year and can't save two cents. So income, good income doesn't mean I'm good at savings. And that was me for so many years. Like I was a terrible saver because I spent it all, but I've had to learn to be a, a saver and investor. So Nick, just hang in there. If you can, you need to focus on increasing your income. And if you are on a disability pension, my challenge and my encouragement to you is there will be something you can do to add value in this world. Even if you can't, quote unquote, work, you might be able to do something online. You might be able to generate more money somehow. Well, let's say Nick is limited, like he can't get another job. He can't increase his income. Mm. What can we do to him now? I think you're right that it comes back to um, fundamentally are your expenses lower than your income? First, make sure that that's mm. right. Yeah. Um, and then with the remainder, just focus on putting aside that remainder that you, the excess into your savings. Um, I took on a little challenge a few years ago, which was the 1% challenge. Mm. So every month I sought to increase my savings by 1%, just 1%. So it might be an extra $20 a month. It depends on your income. Um, but, and 
you can hopefully find a way to do that, whether it's walking to work once a week or selling something online or foregoing the beer on the pub on a Wednesday and just aiming for Friday. Yeah, that's. Um, I think there's just always a way. Like, So for me, uh, I'm, I'll make up something if I – like my wrists are really bad at the moment and I've got to go to a hand and arm specialist and all that because I'm – I don't know, something up with my – wrists and fingers and if you've listened to the podcast for some time you've probably heard me whinging about the, <laughs> the ailment for since april last year when i've hurt my 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 body tell me about it yeah i know right if so if i couldn't work ever again because of a, a disability it just might mean i need to get more creative somehow and that's not going to happen overnight and I'm not, please don't take this as a big F you if you can't work. I'm just kind of pragmatically want to encourage you that what can you do with your situation? Can you start a podcast? Can you write a blog? Can you do something to encourage people in your situation? Like, I don't know, be a thought leader in your world. Like we live in the most blessed society, you know, more times than not. And I just want to give... And we don't know if Nick's studying part-time and just working on the side. Um, but I just wanted to give a bit of homage to those who might be on a disability pension or who might be on a lower income that I don't think it needs to be forever because life's long and we go through a lot of seasons and ebbs and flows. Yeah, and don't be cruel to yourself. I found myself trying to stick to the harshest of budgets and it was just depressing, you know, whereas if you focus on one thing at a time, whether it's, okay, I'm going to uh, walk to work one day a week for this month, just focus on that one thing. It's not as draining. It doesn't feel like a punishment. You don't want your finances to be a negative a negative area of your life. It's a tool. It's not a punishment. Mm. And I think it's, um, you know, I just want to encourage anyone who's struggling out there. It's, um, it's not always easy. I remember a story I shared when I was starting my own business and it's, it's just funny, Laura, like sometimes I cop a fair bit of crap from some people about the success that I've had. No way. Mm. And I've worked hard for it. It sounds really weird, but I've been through the stages where I've had, and I've got a journal where there's been $10,000 worth of bills and I've had $1,500 in my bank account. I've been up overnight with anxiety. So I, my heart goes out to people who are in that space, but it's not forever. And the funniest thing I ever did, I, I had a car loan with Macquarie uh, Bank and I, did, I didn't have the $520. And I know it was $520 a month. I just remember. And uh, it was a black Ford Focus. And they pretty much, I called them and said, um, hey, I, I don't have the money. And they said, well, you're going to need to come up with the money or we're going to have to take further action. And I'm like, all right, well, what's the further action? Because like, oh, would... What was it? We'd have to take the car. And I said to them, that's all right. You tell me where the car needs to be and I'll drop it off with the keys. I don't have the money. I'm just letting you know. Like, don't like. Love it. And <laughs> so I, I totally get um, that it's tough out there at certain times. So with all this My Millennial Money in the podcast that we do, I want to be your encouragement that if you are feeling a bit down or whatever, 
jump in the Facebook group, write something like, we will encourage you because it's not forever. What you're going through, whether it's um, financial stress, relationship stress, mental health stress, physical like Ailment. ailments oh. or whatever, there's always another day and be hopeful. And there's good, I don't even know why we're going here, but someone needs to hear it. And this is why we're going there. Uh, if you need to reach out to Beyond Blue, do that, have a chat. Um, it can be really hard living on an extremely low income. Mm. I remember when I moved to Canberra, I moved for university and I had scrimped and saved in my gap year mm. to move here. And it cost so much money to live on campus, which is what I wanted as I got to know the town. Um, there was one week where I had 20 cents left over after they took uh, the money out for rent and board and my girlfriends rallied around me and um, they were so kind. They offered to buy me coffee and I was very proud at that time in my life. And so a bit of a compromise, what they did was they pulled together their coffee stamps and would give me the free coffee on the coffee stamps. So good. Yeah. So, oh, conversely to that, like be freaking generous to somebody. Yeah, if you're pay it back. Or forward or whatever. Oh, yeah. It's pay it forward. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. And like, seriously, if you're filling up your car or if you're driving to the service station right now and you're about to fill up your car, have a look at the Bowsers. Is there someone that you think, you know what? That person, they just put $20 in their car. They obviously can't afford to fill it up. I'm going to go and just pay their $20. But also junior employees, like reach out to them and ask if they want a coffee. I remember that was always such a joy when you're on a lower income and the boss would come around and ask, oh, who wanted a coffee and make a special effort. Mm. It was more than just a little financial help. It was also like a really good bonding moment. Yeah. So be nice out there. Uh, bless someone financially. Buy them something. Um, and yeah, be good people. Hey, Laura, the Canberra lawyer. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for inspiring us with the spreadsheet. And thanks to my mate Heath who helped me tweak it and do the uh, algorithm. And thanks to Izzy Butcher for tweaking it for Mac. Yeah, thank you. I hadn't gone that far with yeah. my spreadsheet. It was quite rudimentary. Yeah. So I'm grateful to M3 for putting in the uh, macros to make it work a bit better. Love it. Thank you, Laura, for joining us today for the podcast. Pleasure. All right, guys. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. So we haven't done an after party this year and if you're new to the podcast, we sometimes do after parties. Oh, there's a freaking vacuum in the hotel, typical. 
anyway. Sorry on behalf of Canberra. Yeah, I'm leaving this town. So, what do you want to do for the after party? Um, well, I was going to ask. Yeah. I know you're a fan of ice cream. Yes. You've said that so many times. Yes. What are your thoughts on Neapolitan? No. No, I'm not about no, it either. Too basic. Oh, too basic. I'm I think there's too much going on. Oh, I just remember like, you know, the Peters, you know, it's just screams, I buy my ice cream from Coles type. And I mean, I buy my connoisseur from Coles, back off everyone. But like, I, <laughs> Laura's just cracking up. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. It's just such a basic kids thing. And I, I don't like chocolate ice cream that much. Oh, controversial. Yeah, I like chocolate, but I don't enjoy chocolate ice cream. Okay, what are your thoughts on sorbet? Take it or leave it. Mm, okay, all right. Yeah. Mm. So, I went up to my room before and I was actually thinking when you stay at a hotel and I've talked about this on the podcast before, like I'm staying here for three nights, right? I'm just like, do not disturb. Don't come in my room. And thanks for not even noticing that we're podcasting vacuum, man. Um, <laughs> He's deliberately coming to approach Yeah, hasn't even looked at us. Um, I'm like, do not disturb. You know, my own freaking house might go two weeks without getting cleaned. I'm pretty sure I can go for three nights without someone coming in. What's your view on the hotel stay, do not disturb? I feel like I'm disappointed either way. Like if they come in, I feel a slight invasion of privacy because they've tidied up the room and I'm probably less tidy, I've left clothes out or my straightener out or something like that. So then I'm disappointed that they've seen how I live as a person or I'm disappointed that they didn't come in and clean my room. Right. So you're saying you're hard to please. I suppose so. Yeah. Fussy much. Yeah. <laughs> and where do you want to travel to next if you're going to travel? I'm going to Argentina. I can't wait to go to Argentina. I dance tango and I'm super pumped. I've been to Berlin. Smile for the camera. I'm taking a photo of you. You've been to Berlin. Yes, which actually is the biggest tango capital of the world at the moment. Really? Germans love tango. Untia? <laughs> That's my German. Yeah, I had to trot out some very rudimentary German to try and get a dance there because, like, being the new person on the block, I went to a very cool a warehouse, Tango Malonga, and I was sitting on the side um, waiting for a leader to come up and ask me for a dance, which is the usual way of doing it. I mean, it's not very feminist. You should mm. feel comfortable, whoever you are, going up to ask for a dance. But, yeah, I tried to look as German as possible so that they weren't like, who's this? How do, you look, how do you look German? I don't know. I just tried to look chill and right. friendly, but not too friendly. <laughs> yeah, wild. Not too eager. Yeah. Yeah. Not too keen. No. That's the that's the trick in life, isn't it? Not being too hungry. Not being yeah. too thirsty. It's a bit of a turn off, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. It's Valentine's Day coming up soon. Oh yeah. Um and we're doing a special podcast episode for that. And we're going to read all the um, – the. are you in the Facebook group? I am. Um, I put a post up like, all right, man, shove the vacuum. Uh, you know, he's just doing his job. Weirdly, he did not pick – I think he just ignored us. Um, I think he was having some me time. Yeah. Um, so, we put up like your Valentine's or d date stories with money. Have you got any date stories with money? 
Oh, let me think. Um, I tend to do something small and sweet and meaningful rather than the big bouquets of roses and things like that. Um, I remember one Valentine's Day, a former boyfriend bought me plush like teddy bears and I can't That's cute. stand. No, I can't stand. It's cute if you're 12 years old or a grown animals. adult who likes them. I know, and I was like, oh great, now I have to hang on to this forever. Yeah, right. I didn't. Okay. Threw it out. I repurposed it and gave it away. No, I didn't repurpose it. I just gave it away. Yeah, interesting. But no, otherwise, mm, I'm trying Are to Are you get much of a, a Valentine's Day gal? No, no. Small and sweet. Yeah. Like something to mark the occasion, like you've noted Valentine's Day mm. and you're making that little meaningful gesture, but I don't buy into the, you know, get the restaurant booking and the flowers. So if Mr. Canberra said we're going out for like two – see, for me, I honestly can't think of anything worse than going to a restaurant on Valentine's Day night because – the whole restaurant's just tables of twos. Oh, exactly. And I would feel awkward. Yeah. And there's so much pressure. I just feel pressure. I guess I'm a bit socially awkward like that. Are you a, um, what's your love language? Oh, probably words of affirmation. Really? Yep. Interesting. I'm all about the compliments. Yeah. Cool. All right. <laughs> what about you? I, I think I'm the same. I receive compliments and words. You receive them. Do you yeah, like, give them out? No, I don't give out words. But when I give love language, it's, it's ironic usually, being a podcaster. I know. No, it's. I think when I give my love language out, it's gifts or acts of service, and I receive words of affirmation. Interesting. Oh, I don't. I haven't thought about my receiving. Yeah, because I don't think there's a blanket thing. No, you can be a few, can't yeah, you? Yeah, because if someone like someone could buy me a present. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, throw it over there. I'll get, I'll open that soon. And it could stay wrapped up for like two months. Oh, yeah, I'll get to that. What's the worst present you've received from a romantic interest? I think, I think a chick bought me a rose one day for Valentine's Day. One rose? A real rose? Yeah. Well, that's not that bad. We're dating. And I'm like, yeah. I Did love, you expect more roses? No, I just didn't expect flowers. Like I like flowers. I sometimes buy a bunch of flowers for my house just to give it life. But just getting given a rose, it was just a bit weird. Mm, lonely. The lonely rose. I was lonely inside with that relationship. <laughs> I reckon the worst present I have been given from a romantic interest was a really hideous print of a Tasmanian devil riding a motorcycle in the Australian outback. And Gosh, did you drop that guy? Did you drop him like he was hot? I looked at him and I was really polite about it. I was like, oh, what prompted this present and he told me that it was so ugly he just had to buy it for me and I felt quite conflicted Mm. right 
again, I had mm. to hold on to it for a little while and then I thanked it for its service and let it continue in its life elsewhere. So, there's a lot of singles out there in my millennial money land. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> what advice are you giving them coming up to this Valentine's Day in a few weeks? I actually <laughs> don't know. Um, I suppose... Have a think about your gift. Have Does it need to of, be a gift? No, it doesn't have to be a gift. It could be a action. It could be a meaningful what? Poem. Gesture. A poem. Oh, how, I think I might be uncomfortable if I got a poem. <laughs> I, like, where do you look? It's sort of like when people are singing happy birthday. You're yeah. kind of like, oh, this is great. Unless it's a funny poem. True. Like a limerick. True. All right. I'm going. The after party's over. All right. It's officially over, <laughs> this after party. Yeah, go hit up the Canberra hotspots. Yeah. Woo. heads. Woo. Thanks, Canberra. Bye. See you, Laura. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 